At North Point Community Church, we are passionate about helping our community move toward a life fully devoted to Jesus. And we hope this message helps you do that. Thank you for tuning in. Good morning. How is everybody today? This is my new friend, the TV monitor. Everyone say hi, TV monitor. Um, it's actually there because we want you who are watching online, who are with us virtually, to be able to connect with everything in a little bit better way. So we're going to go here for, for um, the scripture and for key points out of the message. If you're here in the house, it's going to be up on screen as well. It's also in the North Point app. And if you have the app, uh, there's a spot there that you can go and you can follow along through the message you know, with sermon notes that are there. One of the things that will show up here are sometimes key words that are underlined and highlighted. If you're keeping track in the app notes for the message, those are fill in the blanks that you can fill in. If it's in a different color, that will help you know for sure, oh yeah, I'm supposed to write that in. That'll keep your mind engaged. It will also allow you to remember things a little bit better by filling those in, so we hope that you'll do that. If you don't have the North Point app, all you need to do is uh, send a text message to 833-CHAT-NCC, 833-CHAT-NCC, and, uh, and with the message app, we'll send you a link and you can download that and you'll be up and going in just the next couple of minutes. Hey, if you finished reading the, through the New Testament in 90 days, whoop it up, man, that's great, great stuff, good job. If you haven't finished yet, if you're still reading through the New Testament in 90 days, um, I guess it's more than 90 days, but if you're still reading, keep at it, man. That's so great. If you've not started reading through the New Testament, I would encourage you to do that because you're going to hear God speak. Our hope, our desire has been that as you've read through um, the New Testament, that you've had this sense of who God is and his love for you in an incredible way. And, uh, and that that's been a really, really cool thing. Keep it up. Um, if you finish with Revelation, you know that in the end, Jesus wins, right? Christ is risen. He's risen indeed, that's right. Uh, and um, if you were here last Sunday for Easter, even if you haven't been reading, you know Jesus conquered death. Uh, he came out of that tomb alive, and uh, that's way, way cool. It changes everything for us. For the last seven months, we've been, we've been sharing what it looks like, what our vision for North Point looks like. Our mission is to help all people move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. If you're kind of new, that's what we're all about, helping all people move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. But our vision, what we're going to do for the next couple, three years, is to, is to have everyone who calls North Point home see Jesus working in their life, and the challenge is then to share Jesus with the people who are in their sphere of influence. Own North Point, see Jesus working, share how, uh, share how he is working in your life in the people who are in your sphere of influence. Um, our, our last two sermon series have been all about that. The, the series last fall was about recognizing how Jesus works in people's lives, sometimes when we just miss it. The series we just finished, reading through the New Testament, it's about recognizing that Jesus is working all the time in our lives. And when we obey him, when we follow the instruction that we find in the New Testament, all of a sudden stuff opens up where we see God working in our life in really, really cool ways. Today we start a series called Old School Teaching. And that bumper video, uh, some of you recognize those black and white TV clips, right? Uh, 
the Jetsons, good stuff, right? Uh, Andy of Mayberry. Um, there's truth for us in this series that we're gonna glean from the Old Testament. Some of it from as, as long ago as 3,000 years ago. But God's the same yesterday, today, today, and forever. And so we're gonna take some things out of the Old Testament, see how that applies to our lives, and, um, and just see what God does that does with that. Before we jump in, let me just lay some foundational stuff. When you read the Old Testament, because the Old Testament was a promise between God and his people, the Jewish people. When you read the Old Testament, how do you make sense of that? How do you read that? Because in the Old Testament, there are like 612 laws that you have to obey in order to be right with God. We can't do it. And that system was built on those laws. So how do you, how do you make sense when you read in the Old Testament? You have to look at the context. Let me, let me just encourage you. There's some things up on screen that you can see um, that, that just say, when you read the Old Testament, the first thing that you need to do is to say, what's the context of that? Um, who was it written to? What was it written for? What was the purpose? What was going on at that point in time? The, um, the context makes a huge difference for us. Um, the... Um, it helps us understand what we learn, uh, what we can learn about who God is, about His nature. And when we read, when we read the Old Testament, one of the other things that we discover is how fickle mankind is. You and I, like how much we say, "Oh yeah, God, everything. I give it all to you," and then turn and do everything on our own. That's the pattern that's there for us. Um, we understand that in the Old Testament. The, um, the Old Testament helps us understand the nature of God. It helps us understand that a religious system will never work for being right with God because God designed that system and we couldn't live by it because we mess up. It, the Old Testament under, helps us understand that there is a theme of hope that's there, that one day a redeemer would come who would change everything, who would make it all right for us. And that was Jesus, right? That's, that's the hope that's there in the Old Testament. Um, do we re need to read the Old Testament? Absolutely. Do we need to approach the Old Testament that we need to obey all of those laws? Not at all, because Jesus came to blow that up, to fulfill the law, um, to complete it, so that we could have the right kind of relationship with God and call him father, dad. We could be his sons and daughters. Um, I th what I think we're going to find is some old school teaching that still makes sense for us today over the next six weeks. Um, let, let me pray and then we'll kind of jump into the message. Um, Lord, our desire as we look at your word today is that you would take a truth and that you would help us to apply it in our lives today. God, we ask that you would speak to us, that we would hear from you clearly and that, um, God, our hearts would say, oh, man, you are the best, and we want to do what you've taught us. We, we want to apply those principles in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 2013, there was an a, a employee in Japan, Miwa Sado, that worked for a news agency that worked 159 hours of overtime in the month of July. 159 hours of overtime. She dropped dead of a heart attack. She was 31 years old. 
Kenji Hamada was an employee at a Tokyo-based security company. He had a, a, a wife that he was committed to, two young kids. He had an incredible work ethic. He worked 15 hours a day consistently along with a four-hour commute. Um, one day, his colleagues found him slumped over at his desk and thought he had just fallen asleep. Three hours later, they checked on him to discover that he had died at his desk. He was 42. Japanese language has developed a new word to describe the phenomena of working yourself to death. Kuroshi. Say Kuroshi. Now you've learned a Japanese word, right? It's actually a relatively new word that was just coined in the 1970s, but it describes this sense of working, working, working until you die. Um, in, the, in the U.S., we don't have a word specifically for that, but we, we talk about it all the time. Oh, man, they're working me to death, right? That's a, that's a phrase that we use. We talk in the U.S. about being workaholics, um, and we wear that kind of as a badge of honor. When you, um, uh, when you apply for a job and the, and, the, um, and the person who's interviewing you says, hey, tell me about one of your weaknesses. Uh, what's, what do you want to say? Oh, man, one of my weaknesses, I'm a workaholic, right? Because that's not really a weakness. That's a strength for an employer, right? They're gonna, you're just going to keep doing that. Um, we have this high value, this high value of work. Um, before the pandemic in 2018, the average work week for a salaried employee in the United States was 47 hours. That was the average, okay? Whole lot more than that. Um, that same study found that half the employees in the United States use less than half of their allotted vacation time each year. Some of you are averting my gaze right now because you're thinking, uh, that's me, I don't do that. Um, let me, let me pause just for a second and say this. There's nothing biblical about a 40-hour work week. There's no place in Scripture that says, oh, only work 40 hours. Um, if you're a farmer, you realize you work a lot more than 40 hours during, during the times where you're working and doing all the stuff when the sun is available. We work hard as a culture. That's something that we value. Um, but for most of us, even when we're not working, we're thinking about our jobs. We're doing things for our job when we're away from our job. And our work, job, um, life is out of balance. What I want us to wrestle with this morning is what the Bible teaches about our need to rest. Our need to rest. Um, some messages are, are kind of easy for me to preach. Um, you know, I study and I think, oh, I know that, I apply that, that's something I'm living out all the time. This is not one of them. Because I know, for me personally, that my wife is going to quote this message to me over and over and over again. Because I'm not very good at it. I am not very good at, at um, carving out the time to rest. And I think that there's a pattern in Scripture that we need to look at that we all need to embrace. Here's the principle that really kind of guides everything. God built rest into the rhythm of our lives. God built rest into the rhythm of our lives. Beginning with the creation of the world, God modeled the idea of work and rest, work and rest, work and rest for us. In Genesis, when God begins to create the world, he, uh, he creates the sun and the moon and the stars. He separates light and darkness. 
He creates the earth. He, he creates the creepy crawly things and the things that swim and the things that fly. God does all of that. He, he creates the animals and he creates mankind. And, um, and Genesis 2 then says this. It starts out this way. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in, their vast, in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. He worked six days and he rests on the seventh day. God created and he rested. Why did he rest? Was God tired? No, he wasn't tired because God's always at work. Scripture tells us that. He's always working now. He rested to model for us our need to rest as well. Um, the, the, the Hebrew word for rest that's there in Genesis 2 is an interesting word. It's the word inhale because God had been speaking things into existence. He had said, let there be light and there was light. Let there be all these things. God spoke it into existence. And then when, when it gets to, to day seven, it says that God inhaled. Do that for me for a second. Just take a deep breath and let it out. Do you sense your body rest in that moment? God created that uh, pattern for us. But something really interesting happens when you read through the Old Testament because God rested on the seventh day and then rest in that sense is not mentioned again for a really long time. So Adam and Eve in the garden, there is no record of them needing to rest in the garden. Noah, when he's building the ark for 120 years, there is no record of Noah taking a day to rest in that process. Um, as, as you fast forward, God's promise to Abraham, there's no record of a day of rest that's commanded there. Um, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 sons, no record of rest. When they're in Egypt as slaves, no record of rest as slaves for 430 years. It's not until Exodus 16 when God has rescued the Hebrew nation from the Egyptians, when they're moving towards the promised land, that the Bible first uses the word Sabbath or Shabbat, which means to cease working. It describes a day of rest. The Israelites are whining and complaining about, about Moses and Aaron as their leaders. They're saying, hey, we're out here. We don't have food. What are we going to do? It was so much better back in Egypt when we were slaves. At least we had a place to live. We could eat and that kind of stuff. And God said, hey, here's what's going to happen. I am going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of your needs. I'm going to provide the food that you need. I'm going to give you meat and I'm going to give you bread. I am the one who rescued you. I'm the one who provides for you. Watch and see, because I am your God. And that night, quail descends on, on, the, on the nation of Israel. There's probably two million people together. Quail descends, and they have meat to eat. The next morning, they wake up, and there's this dew-like substance on the ground. And as it dries, it becomes almost like a, a wafer, like a cracker. It's um, what Scripture called manna, and, and it allowed them to eat. And the crazy thing was, after that had happened for six days, on the sixth day, well, pause for a second, because God said, hey, here's the deal. Take what you need, 
for that day, just for that day, because I'm gonna provide for you day by day by day by day. If you take more than you need, here's what's gonna happen. It's gonna rot, it's gonna get worms in it, because I want you to know that I am the one who is providing for you every day of your life. On the sixth day, there's, there's a whole lot more. There's a whole lot more manna, there's more quail, there's the whole, whole deal. And they say, what do we do with that? Um, and uh, Exodus 16 says this, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow will be, this is Moses talking to the nation of Israel. Tomorrow will be a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath day set apart for the Lord. That's the first use of the word Shabbat, which means to cease, to, to cease working. When I read that, when I was studying, I was thinking, oh, that's really interesting because that's the same phrase, the same concept that's there in Psalm 46 that we say often, be still and know that I am God. Cease striving and know that I'm God. It's that concept of Shabbat. Um, don't, uh, Moses said to the nation of Israel, take what you need, take enough for tomorrow, but tomorrow I want you to rest. The Hebrew nation had escaped Egypt. They're traveling and God says, I'm gonna provide for you every day. And on the sixth day, I'm gonna provide for you what you need on the seventh day. All you have to do is trust me. Um, one of the lessons that the nation of Israel needed to learn was that they needed to rest. Everybody needs rest. Um, most of us think that we can beat the need to rest, right? We think, oh, I can keep going. I can keep work. I can work through this. I remember my dad saying a long time ago to me, he said, your body needs to rest and your body will make you rest one way or the other. You will either choose to rest or you're going to wake up in a hospital bed looking at the ceiling and you're gonna have to rest a lot longer than you anticipated. Our bodies need rest. Um, a number of studies have been done that have said over and over and over again, if you don't get regular rest, it will make your body physically sick. It will be devastating to your health. What happens when you don't get enough rest? You make bad decisions. Your reaction time slows similarly to a DUI. If you, don't, if you, do, um, if you try and drive and you've been up for 24 hours, it's um, your impairment, your level of impairment is worse than if you've had um, multiple uh, beers, like uh, it's against the law. Um, depression, mental health issues often show themselves when we don't get enough rest. How many times have you made decisions when you were fatigued that you later regretted? That time in college, that business deal, in that relationship with that man or woman. Didn't get enough rest, and it made an impact. This is so important that God made it one of the 10 commandments that he gave to the nation of Israel. First commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second command, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Third command, um, oh, that's the third command. Second command, uh, don't make any idols. Fourth command, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Think for a second about the impact of this. In the list of those 10 commands, honoring the Sabbath, the need for rest, that rhythm of rest is at the same level as don't commit murder, don't steal, don't covet, don't make idols. Interestingly enough, the scripture tells us more about this command than any of the other 10. Um, it, it describes it, it explains that uh, more thoroughly. Look at what it says. 
This is Deuteronomy chapter five. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor, do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, is a ceasing to the Lord your God. Um, the, um, do you ever wonder why, why we have a seven-day week? Where'd that come from? Why couldn't our week be five days or nine days or 12 days? It's because God created a pattern of six days of work and a seventh day of rest. Historians tell us that the Babylonians were the first one to do a calendar with a seven-day week, um, that that happened in the sixth century BC. Interestingly enough, in the sixth century BC, Babylon had conquered the world, and you know who they had conquered? The Jews. And the Jews were spread throughout the Babylonian kingdom, and the Jews had been celebrating Sabbath for 700 years prior to this time. But the Babylonians were the first one to do a calendar. There's actually more instruction about this particular command than any place, uh, than any of the other commands. This is, uh, it, it continues to go. On the, on the, uh, on it, on the Sabbath. You should not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your male or your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Anybody associated with you, you need to rest. Go to the, to the next one. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. In the middle of the Ten Commandments, God says, don't forget, you were slaves in Egypt. Why does he do that in the middle of the Ten Commandments? Because when they were slaves in Egypt, they were working seven days a week. And God says, you've got to rest. You've got to understand this. Therefore, the Lord's commanded you to observe the Sabbath day, the day of rest. God designed our bodies. He knows we need rest. He knows that we will push our bodies to the limits in, in every area of our life, thinking that we know better than he does what's good for us. So God says to us very clearly, everyone needs rest. Sabbath rest, though, from God, it's a gift, not a burden. It's a gift, not a burden. Have you ever been running, 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 pushing yourself to the limits and just exhausted? And maybe, maybe you have the ability to do this, to lay down in a hammock beside a lake on a warm summer day and you're just laying in the hammock and you feel the breeze and you hear the waves lapping against the shore and you think, this is the best right? This is better than a, than a dinner at a fancy restaurant. It's better than new clothes. It's better than beating the Ohio State University in football. It's better than anything, right? To experience that kind of rest. The rhythm of rest, that Sabbath rest, it's a gift from God. It's not a burden. It's not an oppressive law. God loves us and he wants to replenish us. He wants to refresh us. Understand this, that the Sabbath rest makes you more productive, not less productive. Muscles grow with exercise and rest. If you work muscles, the same muscles, seven days a week, continually, you won't get stronger, you'll get broken, right? You'll end up with hurt muscles that don't work. Marathoners don't run a marathon every day. They run and they rest to prepare for the race. 
Students learn best when they study and rest, study and rest, not when they cram for the exam the night before, right? Yes, parents, you could say, punch your kid, whatever. Um, we, we have instituted this, this principle of Sabbath for us here at North Point among the staff. We ask the staff to take a day off away from work, not answering their phone, not responding to the needs of people because we need to rest. We make it possible for, for the people on staff to have vacation time, time away so that they can be replenished. We've started a, a new process uh, just in the last several years that, that we've created what we, what's called a sabbatical. After you've worked here on staff for seven years, you can take three months for time of rest and refreshment and replenishment and to, and to prepare for a new season of ministry away from here with no responsibilities here at North Point. Chris Carter uh, is going is to be our first staff member to take a sabbatical. He's going to be gone for the months of May, June, and July. Don't call him during that time, all right? Um, because it's designed to be a period of rest that will allow him to be more productive, more fruitful in the future. Sabbath rest. This is, probably, this is probably the most important thing in this message. Understand this. Sabbath rest is an act of faith. When you cut away from your work responsibilities, when you turn everything off, it is an act of faith to say, God, I trust you that you can do, you can do more than I can, and I need to rest. I want to follow the pattern that you've created. God said that he would provide for the Hebrews in six days what they needed for seven days. And their responsibility, their job, was to live that out and to trust that God would do that. Do we believe that that principle still applies today? I think it does. It's not a burden, it's not a law, that's not something that we have to, it's not a mandate, but I think it's a principle that applies for us because God still loves us, God loves us incredibly, and he's promised that he will provide for us. Um, do we believe that we can accomplish more in six days with God's blessing than we can in seven days in our own strength? I think that we do. Um, Robert Morris, who's a pastor in Arkansas, said this, and it convicted me incredibly. The only reason you work seven days a week is because you don't trust God. Anyone want to say, ouch? along with me. The Sabbath principle forces us to think ahead. It forces us to save. It forces us to trust God. I think that's old school teaching that still makes sense for us today. Do we really trust God enough to take a day of rest? Do we believe that God can do more in us, through us, in six days than we, than he can, in, than we can on our own in seven? Um, that's the question for us. So, so the, the question that's out there is, okay, what, what, am I, what do I do if I'm going to rest on a, on a seventh? What do I do? It's probably the wrong question. The, the right question is probably, what do you not do? Let me, let me just challenge you to have one day a week that you turn off from whatever your work responsibilities are, that you don't answer email, that you don't respond to phone calls, that you don't prepare for the next week, that you just shut it all off. Let me challenge you to think about doing a Sabbath rest from electronics, from the blue screen. 
One day a week, maybe. No phone, no email, no computer, no Facebook, no TV. What, to just rest during that time and to trust that God will refresh you in a way that you've maybe never experienced before. Now, you guys are going, that guy's crazy, right? <laughs> let, me, let me challenge you to think through what that might be. Maybe, maybe you're an exerciser, and let me just challenge you. One day a week, don't exercise. Just let your body be refreshed. Um, if you're a student at whatever level, college, high school, whatever, let me challenge you. One day a week, don't study. Turn it off, but do what you need to in the other six days. Um, what if something comes up and you have to work on your day of rest? Understand that it's okay, all right? Um, Jesus said to the Pharisees, and Jesus blew up the whole legal thing about, about obeying the Sabbath. Jesus over and over again um, took care of people, and he said to the Pharisees, no, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. But Jesus said, you know what? If your animal falls, if your kid's in trouble, do what you need to do to take care of them. This is not a burden. It's not an oppressive law. If you, mess, if you need to work, just don't let that be your pattern. Adopt a pattern of rest. Um, just one last thought I want to share, and it's this. We often think about our rest as recreation, right? We, we experience recreation on our day off. Recreation, if you think about what it looks like, it's actually recreation. And if your recreation doesn't recreate you, it's probably work. Does that make sense? It doesn't matter what it is. The whole concept of the rhythm of rest is to create this time that we allow God to do in us what we can't do in ourselves and to follow the pattern that he's created. Um, we're gonna finish the message today and um, uh, we fooled you, right? One song in the front, we're gonna sing some more. We're gonna worship later. So uh, ju just know that we're there. We're gonna finish because something incredibly cool happens uh, right now. We're gonna celebrate a couple of baptisms. Um, one has already taken place. You're gonna get to experience one at the end of this service. But there's a, I, I think that there's a connection between this whole concept of rest and, and baptism because here's the, here's the connection for us. Um, we think that we have to work our way back to God. And God says, no, you need to rest and trust me to do what only I can do. We tend to think, oh, I need to work my way back to God. I need to do some things. Is baptism a work that I do when I say yes to Jesus? Um, no, it's not at all. When we're baptized, we trust that God's gonna do something that we can't do on our own. We're laid down in the water. And all of the carnage of sin in our life, all of the stuff, all the things that we try and do gets washed away. And we come out of the water, a new person in Jesus because of Jesus. He's the one who does all the work. It's not anything that we do on our own. He's the one who does it. Celebrate with me and, uh, and just love these stories and what God is doing in people's lives. Take a look on screen. This is the next step that I have to take. Um, God has saved me from many things, and I'm just ready. Cool. Cool, cool. But, you know, it's, uh, I was thinking about this. 
in thinking through the reality that it's what we call Monday Thursday. It's uh, 2,000 years ago. Now, Jesus would have been eating the Last Supper with his disciples Thursday before Easter. And that's a pretty cool deal to be baptized in this month um, because Jesus demonstrated to them how much he loved them um, and to you how much he loves you. So uh, the, uh, the, the cool thing like we just talked about, about baptism, is that it, it symbolizes in a very clear way the death of the old person down in the water, coming out with uh, new life. Scripture talks about uh, the promise of the forgiveness of your sins and the Holy Spirit living inside you. And that's cool. So I just want you to repeat, if you would. I believe, I believe that Jesus is God's son. That Jesus is God's son. And that he came to die for me. And that he came to die for me. And I'm going to live for him. And I'm going to live for him. All right. Uh, Amy, because of that confession, going to be baptized in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Growing up, I wasn't very religious. But I went to church occasionally with my mom, who was Mormon, and my best friend and her family, who are Catholic. I used to take my iPod to church with me, and I would play my games in the back pew. And I can remember vividly telling my best friend and her family, well, I'm bringing my iPod today because I know that if I bring it here, I'll win all the levels I couldn't win this past week because God will just, like, hand it to me. And um, that's just, that's not the way it works, obviously. So I was very confused about religion and my religious background. When I went to college, I met my husband who was raised in a Christian household and he started to show me the paths of Jesus and um, understand my faith. And I started to be, get, I started to get an understanding of what faith was and what my personal faith was. Then my mom was diagnosed with stage four cancer. I began to question my faith and it really started to deteriorate. I had a million questions for God. There wasn't a second I wasn't asking, if there is a God, why isn't he healing my mom? Why does she have cancer? Why, 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 why? Just a million questions. I remember thinking, why couldn't it have been someone else? Why did it have to be my mom? And just looking back on those moments, I realized I, I hadn't even gotten close to finding Jesus. And. My husband and I welcomed our first baby in November of 2019, and I was struggling with depression still from my mom passing away. And I had postpartum depression, severe anxiety, and then a pandemic started, as if everything that was stacking up just couldn't get any better. I didn't know who I was anymore um, as a person, as a mother, as a wife, and then my marriage really started falling apart. I was faced with huge, huge marital hardships and personal hardships and I, I felt like I had hit rock bottom um, almost that point of no return and I thought I'm in a hole so deep I'm never gonna get out of this that's when I met Jesus and I reached out to my sister-in-law Jackie and 
I remember feeling so lost and so hurt and so alone and I asked her for help. I said, I don't know what to do. And I thought I was a great mother, but I don't even want to get out of bed in the morning. I don't want to go to work every day. And she, she said to me, Sarah, you need Jesus. Not just say that you go to church and that you think you have faith and just because you go and you sit there and you don't really take anything in. She shared the gospel with me in a way that I had never really heard before. It was in that moment that it all made sense. A moment of awakening, really. Um, when my heart was filled with the Holy Spirit, just when I felt so hurt and so betrayed and, and so alone, Jesus heard me. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed for God to show me the light at the end of the tunnel. And, and he's done just that. And he's provided me with peace and strength and joy. That is why I'm wanting to be baptized. Um, because really the moment you give your life to Jesus, your whole world changes for the better. And if you haven't found Jesus on a personal level, I know that probably doesn't make any sense at all, really at all, because I've been there. But when you do, it'll be life-changing. And I can speak for that. First of all, I just want to say I loved your story. I, I love that I prayed, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed. And, and just the way that God has used so many people, uh, that it's not just a one-moment thing, but it's like your whole life. God is working to just bring you in. Um, and my favorite thing, and for you guys to know, because you're probably wondering this as well as we were talking in the back, she still does have that iPod, uh, which I thought was great. And probably should be like framed somewhere in your house now, right? Uh, real quick, just want to ask you one question, and it's simply this. Uh, do you know Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life? Uh, then on profession of your faith, we baptize you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.